Good morning, and welcome to Pickens View Wesleyan Church online again this Sunday. I'm glad that you've taken time to tune in with us and to be a part of the service today and to hear from God's word. It's the best that we can do right now uh, during this time when we can't meet together. Be watching your email this week. I plan to send out a note from Pastor. Uh, the local board of administration is going to meet tomorrow night along with our staff pastors to begin discussing the process of opening the church and what that will look like. So we'll be sharing other details with you as well and to help keep you informed. This morning, I wanna begin a series that I've titled Faith That Moves Mountains or Me. When I think about faith, I have a picture in my mind of a person struggling to believe enough, however much that amount really is, and usually they're falling short. We read in the Bible about the disciples, how at times they struggled and they tried to do things and Jesus would respond to them, oh, you of little faith. And I was reading last week in the book of Romans where Paul was writing about some believers were weak in their faith is how he described it. I know faith is important and I've seen it in my own life, but it's so hard to describe how it works. This is what I'm sure of. Faith comes from God. And I know it's in the list of the fruits of the spirit. So I know it's something that God produces inside of me. I've experienced that, but how did I come to know and believe in Jesus in the first place? Where did that faith come from? My wife, Christy, grew up in a great Christian home and she has had a great Christian heritage. But on the other hand, I didn't grow up in a Christian home and my exposure to Christianity really was quite limited. We both came to know Jesus personally, but how did we get to that point? How did I come to believe in Jesus? How did I really get to the point of recognizing that God was speaking to me and putting my trust in him? I want us to take a look, closer look at scripture today and hopefully it'll help us better grasp this idea of a faith to believe. As you know, there are many stories in the Bible about people who had encounters with Jesus. One of those was the woman at the well who followed Jesus and believed in him after a face-to-face -face and heart-to-heart -heart encounter with him. We also know there's the story of Saul, who later became Paul, the guy who was persecuting Christians and Jesus. And in a dramatic event on the road to Damascus, he's blinded by a bright light and Jesus speaks to him in a voice. And Paul chooses to follow him and his life was changed forever. In John chapter three, we read about a religious teacher and a Pharisee, his name was Nicodemus, and he came to Jesus and he has a discussion about how everyone must come to believe in Jesus. In this passage, we also read about the most famous version scripture, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, all of us, you and me, he loved us so much, he sent his only son, Jesus. The firstborn of creation, sent to take our place, to bear our burden, to suffer our consequence. We were far from God, but God didn't want to be far from us. Jesus came to bring us home as a prodigal returns to their father 
so too could we return to our Creator. A simple plan with just one requirement. Belief. For whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have life. Life eternal. At the very heart of God is love. Indescribable, unrelenting, unstoppable love. That love shines a light, guiding us home. For God so loved the world. God so insistent that we must believe in his one and only son? Why is believing in Jesus so important? And how do we get to the point that we choose Jesus? To understand why we must believe in Jesus, we have to go back to the beginning. In Genesis, we read the story where God created the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. Now they had a unique, close relationship with their creator. God loved Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve freely loved God too. God gave them great freedom, but he only had one rule, not to eat from a certain tree in the garden. And we know eventually they disobeyed God. Because of their sin, we are all born into sin, as their sin is passed on to every generation. We read in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Adam and Eve were separated in the relationship with God. One writer that I was reading this week suggested that the whole drama of Satan deceiving Adam and Eve was an attempt to undo their faith in God, or as he said, to unfaith them. Satan spoke lies, and he tricked Adam and Eve into believing things about God that weren't true. You see, you and I put faith in someone because we trust them. You believe what they say and do because they're trustworthy. Adam and Eve made the choice not to believe God, and they disobeyed. Not only was trust broken, but it was the beginning of life never being the same again. Humans would continually struggle to understand God and learn how to trust him again. The problem is that sin separates us from God. It's important to understand that God created us with a love relationship in mind. We were made to be loved by God. God's desire was for man to love him in return, but God also knew that love was not really love unless it could be given freely. In creating us, he chose us to give us a free will. Having the ability to choose allowed Adam and Eve to choose sin over God. All of this, how we were created, sin, redemption, salvation, God planned it all from the beginning. We read in Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. In the beginning, God already had a plan. The we is referring to God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three are already present at the beginning of creation. Then the scripture says, Let's make mankind in our image 
or in our likeness. So we are created like God, his likeness. It's a part of our very being. You know, people search their whole lives for meaning and purpose. It's as if their life is missing something. I've often heard pastors suggest that people have a God-shaped hole in their heart. Our problem is we often try to fill that hole with everything but God. We seek love in other relationships, money, success, possessions, drugs, alcohol, pleasure, sin, anything to fill the hole. As I was in the sanctuary this week, kind of working through this sermon, I looked up and noticed our sanctuary doors. I couldn't believe it. It was staring right at me. It was the perfect picture of what I'm talking about. A God-shaped hole in my heart. It might even have the same shape like this window. And as I looked closer, I could see the only thing that can really fill that hole in all of our lives. And that's Jesus. John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not only did he create us with a love relationship in mind, he came to us with a love relationship in mind. God already had a plan to deal with sin. When we started this sermon, we looked at the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and now we want to look at the last book of the Bible, Revelation. It's talking about Jesus, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. The verse says, from the creation of the world, God's plan all along was for Jesus to come to earth as a human being to live a life without sin and to become the sacrifice to pay for all of our sins, something we could never do for ourselves. Jesus paid our debt. Jesus came with a love relationship with us in mind. He was coming to bring us back to God. He was coming to make a way for us that we could never make right on our own. All of this was set in motion before the first man and woman were ever created, yet God knew us. He has loved us forever, even though we didn't even know him or even cared to show love to him. But God settled this issue of love. We read in John chapter 15, verses 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God created us with a love relationship in mind. Jesus came to us with a love relationship in mind. But also, God calls to us with a love relationship in mind. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, God our Savior wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. John 6.44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. You see, all of this was in motion. All of our life, God has loved us and is drawing us to himself. So how do we come to the point of having faith to believe? We read in scripture in Acts 20, verse 12, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, 
It is the gift of God. I want to share a bit of my story. It's the best way I know how to describe how the Father draws us to Jesus. Looking back, I didn't realize that God had been drawing me for my whole life. Growing up in Michigan, our neighbors that were just kitty corner from us were actually the pastors of the church in our neighborhood. They were bivocational, which means that um, they both were school teachers during the day and then they pastored um, as a second career. They often invited us to VBS and occasionally on Wednesday nights and sometimes on a Sunday morning. And I went some as a kid. But later on, when I, when I was about 13, um, I wasn't attending church. And at that time, my sister was attending the church on Wednesday nights. And they were having a contest. And so she asked me if I would go with her because it was a good way for her to get points. So I went along and uh, went to the youth group. And I started to go a little bit. And it wasn't long after I was starting to attend that one of the youth sponsors invited me to go to the youth convention with the youth group, and he offered to pay my way. When I met Jesus, I didn't know much about the message of Christ, and I sure didn't know all the verses that I've shared with you out of scripture today. I had only heard the message of Christ once in my life. It was at that youth convention, the very first Friday night at Western Michigan University, as I sat in the auditorium and I heard for the first time someone share about the message of Christ for the first time in my life, I, I heard about the fact that God loved me and it hit home and I, I understood for the first time that I was a sin sinner and I was separated from God and that hit home. When the invitation came, it was clear that God was speaking to me. And what I remember is when I went to the prayer room, one of the youth leaders was talking to me and walking me through the process of what it meant to accept Christ as your savior. I couldn't really explain what was going on. It wasn't necessarily that I was emotional. I think for the first time in my life, I was face to face with a living God and I was listening to his voice. My youth leader asked me what I was thinking and did I want to accept Jesus into my heart? And to be honest, all I could respond was, I just want to be like Mike. You see, Mike was the pastor's college-age son. They, he lived in my neighborhood. I knew Mike growing up. And Mike had become a sponsor in the youth group. I had never seen Jesus. And I didn't know much about Jesus. But I knew Mike. I knew Jesus lived in Mike. And Mike was a great reflection of who Jesus was. So that evening, I trusted Jesus to become my savior. I gave all that I knew and understood about myself and my sin to all that I knew and understood about Jesus. And it was enough. He changed my life forever. For a teenager, I was pretty faithful to church. I usually went by myself. I stayed connected to the church and to the youth group all through junior high and high school. But one Sunday morning, we got the news that my grandmother had passed away, and this was my mom's mom. And it really affected me, and it was a little odd. I loved my grandmother, but we really weren't that close, and I couldn't understand why it was bothering me so much. What was bothering me is it made me think of my parents, and 
and the thought of if something should happen to them, I knew in my heart they needed to know about Jesus. That morning, several of the folks in the church gathered around me and prayed for me that I would have the courage to go home and talk to my mom and dad about Jesus. So after lunch, I asked my mom and dad if I could talk to them. And of course, my dad immediately thought that I was just trying to uh, ask for something or I needed money. But actually, I began to tell them how my grandmother's death was affecting me and I was concerned for them and I wanted them to know Jesus. And they were listening and I, I shared everything I knew about Jesus. I didn't know what verses to say. I didn't know anything. And my mom just listened intently, but my dad finally spoke up and he said, you know, just this week, a Jehovah Witness came by and I was talking to him about God. That afternoon, my dad promised that he would go to church with me one Sunday a month. But the truth is, after that, I don't know that my dad ever missed very many Sundays. After high school and after graduation, I went to college for a whole two weeks. And then I called my dad and asked him if I could come home. I was struggling and to be honest, I wasn't really keeping Jesus at the center of my life at that point. I worked at a flower shop in town. My youth sponsors owned the flower shop and I had worked for them all through high school. That's gonna be important in just a minute. But one Saturday night, I'd gotten to the place that I had decided I didn't wanna live anymore. For whatever reason that weekend, my dad and I were the only ones at home. My mom was at a bowling tournament and I'm not sure where my sister was. So that Sunday morning, he hollered up at the steps and asked me if I was going to church and I kind of pushed him off and he went on to church without me. And I got up and and I went downstairs and I began to try to write my dad a note and three or four or five attempts. And I, I finally just wadded it up and threw it in the trash. I went over to the medicine cabinet and took whatever medication was there. And I went back upstairs to my bedroom and laid down to go to sleep. And I just hoped that's how what would happen is I would just go to sleep. After church, my dad came home. And he told me later, he says, I don't know why I walked into the kitchen and I saw a wadded up piece of paper laying on the floor and something told me, go open up that wadded piece of paper. And my dad read my letter. He came running up the stairs. He opened the door. He was crying and trembling and asking me what I had done. We ended up going to the emergency room and while we were in there, I mean, my dad was trying to assure me that he loved me and he cared for me, but he looked at me and he said, Paul, if you would have died today, I would have never gone back to church again. I wanna jump ahead in the story about 16 years later. By then I've graduated college, Christy and I were married and we had been pastoring at that point about 12 or 13 years. And that's when we got the news that my mom had inoperable lung cancer. We were living in Buffalo at the time, so I made my way home that week and I stayed with her that first night in the hospital when I got back home. And I asked her if I could read something to her. It was the letter that she had given to me about 15 years before. You see, I kept that letter. I kept it as a promise from God that someday my mom would be drawn to Jesus. Dearest Paul, I miss you very much. I always look to see if your car is at the flower shop. I miss your saying, Ma, make Sheila be quiet. I'm going here and there. As you know, you are missed very much. 
Sheila took Jason and Carrie trick-or-treating around here. I pray for you in my own way, even if you think I don't. I have my way, others have theirs. I hope you understand. Been working every day, got the house back in order. I hope it stays that way. I love you, even if I don't show it. Love always, your mother. My mom couldn't believe that I still had the letter. She was pretty uh, weary that evening, and so we were settling down to go to bed. And about that time, her heart monitor went off. Little did we know, we just found out that she had lung cancer, but at some point a virus had attacked her heart and she had heart myopathy, which was basically a weakening of the heart. And she would have a couple seizure type episodes there in the room. And eventually she was moved to the ICU. And these episodes kept happening more and more frequently. And the nurse came out of the room and she asked me, she said, have you considered signing a do not resuscitate order? And I was shaken to the core. We just found out my mom had cancer. I couldn't imagine that she wasn't going to make it through the night. Finally, my dad and my siblings came back to the hospital and we stayed with her all night going through this, these episodes with her heart. I went back home early that morning to get some rest. And when I finally called my dad and I asked how my mom was doing, he says, you won't believe it. She said they gave her some medicine and she's sitting up in bed eating her breakfast. Later that afternoon, my dad and I went and sat with my mom in her room and talked to her about Jesus. And when I asked her if she wanted to pray to accept Jesus in her life, she was ready and she said yes. God had been drawing her. My dad lived such a godly example in front of her every day. He went to church every week by himself. She saw Jesus in him every day. As you know, I just became your senior pastor just about three weeks ago. And my mom always said, she would ask me, when are you going to become a real pastor? She would be so proud today. My sister Sheila sent me a messenger comment the first week of being your new senior pastor, and here's what it said. I'm so happy for you. I wish I lived closer so I could be there to support you. I love you. I'm so happy you brought God into our family. This was God's plan for you. It was God's plan. Someone has said that many people miss heaven by 18 inches. You see, that's the distance between your head and your heart. You know the facts, but it doesn't change your heart. Romans 8, 9, and 10 says, If you declare or confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Everyone has to make that personal decision to believe and to put their faith in God and trust that he is the only one that can save you. It's like a chair. You can believe that it's built well and you can believe that it, it can hold your weight, but you'll never know unless you're willing to commit to sitting down in the chair. When God draws you and you know he's speaking to you, as Revelation says, he's standing at the door and knocking. Will you open the door and let him in?
at this point, some people run from God, but that wasn't me. God says to repent, which means to turn around, to turn from sin and to turn to God. When I realized the truth about Jesus and about my sin, I didn't want to run away. I wanted to run to him, to the one who loved me and the one who died for me. I wanted to trust him. At this point, you don't just believe in Jesus with your mind. It's personal. I believe Jesus died for my sin. I believe his blood was shed for my sins. It became personal. I wanted him to be my savior. And not only did I believe, I wanted to trust him. You see, that's what believing faith is. Trusting Jesus to save you. In 1859, a French tightrope walker, Charles Blondine, traveled across the Atlantic and arrived at Niagara Falls. He hoped to accomplish something that had never been done before. On the appointed day, a tightrope was stretched from one side of Niagara Falls to the other. Charles Blondine hoped to walk across the falls. When Blondine arrived, there were crowds lining both the Canadian and American side. Thousands of people showed up to see this unbelievable feat. Blondine approached the edge of the tightrope, put one foot on the tightrope, and began to walk across. Step by step, inch by inch. Blondine reached the other side, and the crowd burst into cheers. He announced, I'm going to do it again. He got to the other side and the crowds went crazy. Blondine said, I'm going to do it again, but this time I'm going to push a wheelbarrow full of rocks. He rolled the wheelbarrow over the falls, which impressed the crowd even more. He did this over and over, rolling the wheelbarrow back and forth. Finally, he stopped in front of the crowd and asked, Do you believe that I can do this again? To which the crowd shouted, We believe you can do this again and again. He responded, How many of you believe I could take one of you and put you in this wheelbarrow and roll it across? Everybody shouted, We believe! Blondine dumped out the rocks looked at the crowd and said, if you really believe, get in. No one accepted his offer. You can't just believe with your mind. You have to believe with your heart. Faith to believe means you trust Jesus. You get into the wheelbarrow. You ask him to come into your life as your savior. Maybe that's you today. And we're gonna close in prayer just a moment. Maybe you know without a doubt God's been drawing you all of your life. He's been speaking to you, but you've never made that decision. You've never exercised your faith to believe and tell Jesus that you want him to be your personal savior. Maybe you do know Jesus today. 
I hope from my story that you noticed something. Even though I had never seen Jesus and I may never read his story in the word, there was my friend Mike. And I wanted to be like Mike because he was like Jesus. And just like my mom, who watched my life growing up and who would be so proud of me today if she knew I were a senior pastor. She watched my dad's life all those years I was away at college and how he loved her faithfully and still lived for Jesus. People are watching your life and they need you to live for Jesus. They need you to be the real deal. They need to know that they can trust what you say and how you live and they match up and to know that you're a trustworthy person. You may be the only Jesus that someone ever sees. We're gonna close in prayer this morning. If you need to accept Jesus, you can pray a simple prayer with me. Let's close. Father, I wanna thank you that you knew me and have always loved me and you had an incredible plan. And that believing faith is not something I have to work up in myself but actually it's a gift from you. You have loved me from the beginning. You sent Jesus to pay the price for my sin and you draw me to yourself. All you ask this morning is that we trust you. And Lord, if there's someone who's watching today who needs to accept Jesus right where they are, God, I want them to know that they can pray this prayer from their heart and that you will hear them. Your prayer should go something like this. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need you to forgive me of my sin and you paid that price. God, I want to run to you today. I want to give you my life and ask you to be my savior. Come into my heart, I pray. Help me to turn from my sin and live for you. Father, I want to pray for those who are watching today who don't realize the potential they have in helping other people find Jesus as their Savior. God, help us to take seriously today the call to be so full of Jesus, to live a life that is a light to our world. God, use us as just a means for other people to be drawn to Jesus. What a high honor that is and how we love you today, Lord Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.